First of all, one of the things that we say at Compassion to help give a framework for what we mean by this is we'll talk about how the opposite of poverty is not wealth, but sufficiency. And it relates to the verse in Proverbs 30, I believe, where it says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. I first met today's guest about four years ago, and we connected on our shared passion for education, collaboration, and poverty alleviation. I cannot believe how much has happened in the last four years. Yes, and that includes a change in position for Allison Alley, who is now the president and CEO of Compassion Canada, a global development organization that exists to permanently end childhood poverty in all its forms. Allison has a Master of Arts in Global Leadership and a Master of Business Administration. Allison and her husband, Tommy, live in London, Ontario, and have two daughters. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you so much, Eric and Shalane. It's a joy to be with you today. It is great to have you here, Allison. I am eager to jump right in and ask you a question we like to have all of our guests respond to. How do you complete the sentence? Poverty is. The caveat is the longer I'm in this world, the less sure I am I can answer this question. Um, But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would say poverty is more than just an economic reality or a lack of material things. Poverty is a relational, emotional, physical, and a spiritual reality that is the result of the brokenness in our world. Mm. Thank you for that. And Allison, can you tell us a little bit about Compassion? Yeah, so Compassion is a global holistic child development organization that exists, as you said, to permanently end childhood poverty in all of its forms. And so we currently serve over 2 million children in 25 countries in areas of extreme poverty. And our program focuses on uh, their whole being. So we work to develop kids spiritually, physically, cognitively, and socially. And uh, we really root that in uh, the verse Luke 2.52 that says, Jesus grew in wisdom, which is cognitive, in stature, which is physical, uh, in favor with God, which is spiritual, and in favor with man, uh, which of course is social. But I think what makes compassion really unique and what I'm really quite proud of is not just our child focus, is not just our Christ-centeredness, which is reflected in our understanding of holism, which, as you said, directly relates to how we understand poverty, but the fact that we partner exclusively with local churches to um, deliver our program. And uh, we do that because we recognize the church, of course, has proximity uh, to not just the need around the world, but to the assets and communities around the world. Uh, We would say that churches have the calling, of course, to love and care for their neighbors and to live out the fullness of God's mission in helping to reconcile uh, and restore our relationship with Him and ourselves and others and and the world Mm -hmm. around us. Uh, But the church also has the capability uh, and the capacity. They've got human resources and infrastructure to be able to really uh, meet the needs in their community. And so the local church for us is... um, 
you know, God's chosen instrument to counteract the brokenness in our world and our brokenness as human beings, and therefore, too, the broken systems and structures that we create that perpetuates things like extreme poverty. Uh, so we do holistic child development in partnership with local churches who impact not just their neighbors, but their neighborhoods. And you're talking specifically about local churches. You're referring to international local churches. What is Compassion's role in the Canadian church? Yeah, oh, great question. Because of those convictions that we hold, you know, we are a mission organization that exists to join God in advancing His mission and His purposes. Because of those convictions, we partner substantially with local churches here in Canada. And really part of our vision in this season is uh, three aspects. Uh, number one, to see a world where every child can have the opportunity to be uh, to live a life free from poverty and to flourish in Christ that every Jesus follower would be a part of joining God in that mission, whether they partner with compassion or they partner with food for the hungry, that they would join God in that purpose. Uh, but that through that, through the work of uh, the church, through the work of the parachurch, that we would see every life transformed in the process as we join God in His redemptive work and in His holistic mission. So when we think about the church in Canada, that was, sorry, a long way of getting to your question, Shalane. That's okay. You know, we we are all about partnering with the church here and to joining to join them in how God is calling them to impact the lives of their neighbors and their neighborhoods first and foremost, because we know, uh, you know, God calls us to Jerusalem and Judea uh, in our own backyard first, and then to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we take seriously the opportunity to partner with the church in Canada to offer what we may have experienced in relation to development, discipleship, and missional outreach to one's community and to see how that can impact their own community as they also join us to impact global communities. Mm, love that that partnership and that transformation happening locally and internationally. You're clearly passionate, Allison. I'm wondering if you could share with us, was there a key moment or experience in your own life that really opened your eyes to the global nature of poverty? Indeed, there was. So about 20, maybe over 20 years ago now, uh, I participated in a program called Youth with a Mission, YWAM, for those affectionately aware of the program. And uh, we did an outreach in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And this would have been my first international experience. I was a young adult at the time and hadn't really left the comforts of my Western affluent privileged reality. And uh, it was also the turn of the century. So it was, you know, the year 2000 and we were hearing in preparation that- <laughs> That sounds know, so strange, but you're right. The turn of the century. <laughs> turn of the century, right? <laughs> and uh, man, I, that's probably aging us, right? As we say that, but, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, world leaders were talking about this thing called the Millennium Development Goals. And they were talking, you know, in ways that were hitting mainstream media about, you know, combating poverty and child mortality and, and hunger. And so I was aware of these issues, but they were so far away and not something tangible or up close and personal to me until 
One one day in particular, uh, we were in Chiang Mai area is where we spent most of our outreach. And then we went to the Myanmar border and we're visiting a village there uh, really just to, of course, be a part of proclaiming the good news of Jesus, but also certainly listening and learning uh, to what was happening in their community. And we, and we heard these stories of unbelievable hardship, you know, stories of uh, the exploitation of ethnic, of vulnerable ethnic minorities who were displaced by war, uh, families who were walking days to enter into Thailand to escape violence, who once they got there um, were denied basic human rights, making them vulnerable to trafficking, abuse. I mean, it was hmm. just all of a sudden up close and personal. But then that evening I had dinner uh, with a family in their home. And it was, you know, if you've been to Thailand, you know, raised up on stilts, bamboo floors and a steel roof that was strong enough to hold you, but flexible enough to make you pray pretty hard that it would. <laughs> and um, and we sat there and they were telling, you know, their, their story within this community story of not having enough wages to be able to provide uh, for their kids, not being able to send them to school uh, to meet their medical needs. When, you know, all of a sudden uh, the mother, you know, ended up just stopping and and sobbing and the translator just you know held her and was sobbing as well and you know they ended up uh, sharing with us that this family had lost a child and mm. had lost a child to something that was so preventable that in that moment you know I was up close and personal with this thing called extreme poverty in new ways mm. and um, and I left Thailand of course eventually and felt this this burden, you know, this heaviness in my heart for kids living in poverty and a spark was lit in particular for children at risk that I really would have articulated at the time that God was calling me into ministry or into missions. I didn't quite know what that would look like, um, but that ended up sitting on the back burner for about a decade. But that that spark was lit mm. in that mm. encounter. Yeah. And and I mean, I'm, I've cheated a little bit and I know a little bit of your story in preparation for our conversation today. And so I know that you kind of found your way in finance in the private sector. So, you know, you've spoken a little bit about that seed that was planted in that experience, but how did you ultimately end up then as the CEO of a poverty alleviation charity? I'm still asking myself that. Maybe the board is too. How did she ever end up here? Um, you know, so my story is, you know, a decade had passed. Um, you know, I ended up in the marketplace and, uh, you know, found myself in the financial sector, as you said, when God really used the birth of my own children, my own two daughters to remind me of the encounters that I had experienced so many years earlier and to remind me, quite frankly, that my kids were afforded opportunities and, and access and choice because of the privileged circumstance that they were born into in our family and in our country in particular. And so it was almost as if the blinders were removed in that moment. And I would describe it now that I was able to see my own life, uh, my assets uh, and my deficiencies, you know, what God it is, had entrusted to me and where those were really uh, holding me back in my own growth and development and discipleship. And so uh, our family ended up, and this really was a sense of family calling. My husband went to youth with a mission as well. And the context of this reawakening for us was our church really wrestling with a lot of these principles as well. What does it look like to live our faith in action and to mm. uh, impact the lives of those around us at home and around the world? 
And we decided to take one small step. And in light of the depth of things we were wrestling with, uh, it really felt like one small step at the time. Uh, In hindsight, it was the most transformational step of my life. And that was to sponsor one child, a little boy named Jimmy from Ecuador, through an organization that I knew very little about other than my pastor recommended them called Compassion. And, um, you know, this relationship with this boy changed everything for our family. It changed our prayers. It changed uh, our thoughts, the lens in which we saw the world around us, our giving. And really, uh, and it sounds like an overstatement, but it really wasn't, our faith Uh, journey bloomed and was impacted uh, by this decision and this relationship with this child. I'm curious, Allison, I think listeners would be interested to know, how how did you engage the topic of poverty with your kids? And how old were your kids at this point? Yeah, our kids were really young. So again, this was 10 years ago. So our journey, you know, the journey that I'm talking about has been, you know, a decade in the making now, mm-hmm. close to a decade in the making. So I had just a newborn uh, daughter and a two and a half year old at the time when I, you know, had a very specific encounter with them where I recognized, hey, I'm really missing the mark in my life and, and missing uh, the calling to care for kids. But now how I would answer your question is, you know, we talk a lot as a family about uh, praying, living, giving, and learning. And uh, I don't have this figured out, I'll tell you that much. But but we try and, you know, have conversations, uh, engage in, you know, uh, reading books or watching videos to really expand our horizons and invite our kids into the reality around the world. You know, the living for us is primarily Primarily when we were in St. Catharines through the, the vast majority of our journey until the last uh, couple years when I moved to London, Ontario, we were uh, serving in a homeless shelter together as a family. And one of our close family friends, actually, that is has been around the dinner table at, at Christmas and at special events is someone that was part of the homeless community. He's been on vacation mm-hmm. with our extended family. Uh, and just to build relationships with people who are different. Uh, and of course, involve them in, in giving opportunities locally mm-hmm. and sacrificially, you know, for them. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are some of the the principles that we try and live out. Mm-hmm. You know, from that point of sponsorship, it was, I would just call it divine appointments. It was a whirlwind mm-hmm. journey where never in my wildest dreams would I have assumed that I would work at Compassion ever. In fact, one time I said to my husband, it would be a dream if Compassion would ever have reason to hire us. And we said, you know, I think I remember saying something like, what would they want with a washed up financial advisor? You know, <laughs> who am I? But God led us on a path and we began volunteering and in time, uh, providentially, really, um, in my own life. God ordained a meeting that led to them calling me to uh, come on staff and to launch and lead our advocacy efforts as an organization. So I was doing that until the last couple of years. Great. Thank you. That's It's mm-hmm. an inspirational journey and evidence that God moves from the smallest steps of faithfulness, right? That, that yeah. acting and choosing to sponsor a child and... Here you are now. Some people might be scared to sponsor a child now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe do I need to worry about my job security if everyone is like, you know, sponsoring a child and look. No, it's true though. I mean, that one faithful step. Quickly, I remember in seminary on one of my final classes, our prof, you know, said something like, 
The entire life of faithfulness for a Christ follower can be summarized in saying, you know, how can I be a life-giving presence in the place that God has called me to today? And what is that next faithful step and where He may be calling me to tomorrow? And it's just like, how am I faithful here now? And what's that next step? You know, trusting God with that and never knowing fully where our path will go, uh, but aiming to be faithful every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And to our listeners, as you're pondering any questions that might be coming up for you right now, we invite you to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org to continue the conversation. This week marks a year since the world started to lock down due to COVID-19, and we know that there has been an unprecedented impact to the work of poverty alleviation around the world. So, Allison, I'm wondering, what are some of the realities that the most vulnerable are now facing due to COVID-19? Yeah. Oh, what a year it's been. I was just on a call where someone referred to March 2020, and and we were like, wasn't that a decade ago? Was that only a year ago? (laughs) Um, You know, most definitely, I mean, COVID has impacted every single person in every single country, but it has disproportionately impacted the most vulnerable children and families living in extreme poverty. And uh, of course, we know that lower income economies and nations in particular are far less equipped to deal with just the the health and the pure consequences of COVID-19 because they have what we would call, you know, fragile and strained health systems and and weak institutions. And we can so easily take those things for granted in Canada, but those are not something that are prevalent and reliable in the context that we work. For kids and families more specifically, you know, we would say that, that everything that you and I face is magnified for them. You know, hygiene would be a luxury for many of them. Access to clean water and soap is not something that's readily available or assumed. Supplies are scarcer than ever, uh, even if you have resources to buy supplies. Social distancing is nearly impossible. Uh, Many of the families we serve uh, and many families living in extreme poverty are day laborers. And what that means is if they can't leave their house and go to earn a daily wage, then they're unable to put food on the table at night. Mm -hmm. And uh, so because of this, our organization, uh, Food for the Hungry, other organizations are talking about the ripple effects and the long-term impact beyond the health impact uh, that the most vulnerable are going to experience. And uh, we would articulate those as increased hunger and starvation, a rise in preventable diseases because of disruptions to vaccinations. A child mortality is anticipated to rise. I think they're predicting an extra 10,000 more children will die each month because of COVID. It's just, it's devastating. Never mind the fact that, you know, as people are thrust into extreme poverty and we're hearing that global poverty is going to increase for the first time since that turn of the century time, you know, I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it means that these kids are at greater risk for child labor, child marriage, child trafficking, mm. in addition to poverty. So it is devastating in a crisis like we've not experienced in our lifetime. That's so, it's so sobering to hear it laid out like that so plainly. I'm wondering, what is compassion doing at this point to address this crisis? 
So our um, church-based model uh, has been especially critical during this pandemic. And, and we've always said that our frontline church partners and our staff and volunteers are the heroes of our ministry, truly, mm. as they interact directly with kids. And we've seen that time and time again in this season. One of the things that excites us about our ability to respond through our local church partners who were there before COVID, are, are there serving through COVID, and will be there after, is that these kids are known, loved, and protected by people they already know. They've been walking with them for years and are walking with them now. Uh, they're able to receive whole care uh, beyond just their physical needs. You know, while the physical is significant, as I said, when you're talking abuse and impact on the home, being out of school, uh, we're able to still care for their whole needs. And our program is one that while we're child-focused, uh, we focus on long-term transformation in the lives of families and communities. And so our uh, church partners are still focusing on that and doing that in this season. Um, but but specifically, we've been focusing on providing health and stability through things like food, nutrition, water, sanitation, uh, medical care, housing security. You know, so many people are at risk of losing their home uh, for a variety of reasons. So we're helping them with that, as well as psychological um, support for the trauma, mm. uh, the emotional trauma that mm. so many of them are experiencing right now. So those are some of the ways we're responding. Something that's striking me from what you said is it's sobering to hear the statistics. It's sobering to hear the reality, but it's encouraging to know that that good work is being done. So I appreciate you sharing that, Allison. You know, one of the most important questions to me, I joke that I'm not a voracious reader. I'm a, I'm a volume reader. So I'll have multiple books by my bedside and they'll all have bookmarks only a little bit into each of them. But uh, I always love to ask our guests, you know, what are some of the books that really helped shape you in your understanding and view of poverty and really any books that are continuing to shape that? So um, I studied international development under Bryant Myers, actually. Oh. And yes. So uh, I say that because certainly his, uh, his book and his articles and writing deeply informed uh, my thinking on this topic, in particular, uh, Walking with the Poor, where he talks about, you know, integrating the best practices of the international development community with the theological framework of transformation and holism. That's a title that keeps coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and it has been a gift to just kind of sit in his learnings and um, wrestle with my own understanding of, of, of what that means in our context. Uh, but another one, um, uh, Melba uh, Pedia Mege. I don't know if you've heard of her, but uh, she's a practitioner and a theologian from Asia, and she wrote a book called Transforming Society. And uh, she talks about uh, the theological and practical uh, underpinnings of social justice and talks about this false dichotomy that we've created between the sacred and the secular and, you know, what it means to be agents of God's kingdom and to proclaim in word and deed uh, the kingdom of God. And, and so that one uh, certainly shaped me a lot. 
You know, the other thing I would probably say, as far as what I'm reading right now, I have a, a disheveled pile of books, Eric, all over my, <laughs> my desk. My people. So, <laughs> I, we are kindred spirits, that's for sure. But, you know, a few of our staff, we have been picking up, and actually it's not beside me right now, isn't that funny? But it is the Bruce Weidick Shrewd Samaritan book where he talks about bringing together uh, heart and mind and how important it is to live out, uh, you know, the good commandment and loving God and loving others, but to also take heed from the shrewd steward and the need to really apply sound judgment in our charitable acts. And he has some principles on how to do that. So that's that's been uh, a really shaping one recently. Thanks. For our listeners, we actually created a list with all of these books that guests are recommending. And so if you go to our website, fhcanada.org slash podcast, you'll find a link there for recommended readings. Allison, I am wondering, what kind of advice can you give for someone living in Canada saying, poverty often feels really far away. What can I do? Yeah. It really does. And I'll tell you, um, even as staff who live in this every day, uh, we can experience a sense of still feeling like it is it is far away and not as in front of us as we need it and want it to be. And interestingly, to that end, we've been talking as a leadership team in this season about the need for us to have soft hearts and shrewd heads and servant hands Uh, and to keep our hearts soft for the mission and those we serve and to engage our mind as we can and to continue to be open-handed on how God might be calling us to step forward in new ways to serve Him here. And, um, you know, there might be something in that for your listeners. You know, when, when I think about soft hearts, you know, our focus has been to keep the stories in front of us. You can so often, particularly if you're watching the news, you know, things can become cold and sterile stats and overwhelming stats, and you can lose sight of the one and the life and the hope and the progress. And and so I would encourage uh, your listeners to engage in some of those stories and to understand the incredible work that's happening around the world. And uh, you can do that if you follow Compassion on social channels. It's at Compassion CA. We try and uh, invite you into the complexity, uh, but also share st- real life stories of transformation. Uh, or you can go to our blog, compassion.ca slash blog, uh, and see stories there. You know, I would invite them as well on a learning journey. I guess that does relate to shrewd minds and just thinking about understanding what poverty is. I gave a definition at the front end, which is really jam-packed with a whole lot of truth <laughs> about the impact of brokenness in our world and how, as I said, that results in the poverty of the non-poor, quite frankly. And um, I think we have an opportunity to really reflect on uh, how that lives out in our own life, our own poverty of being, our own poverty of community, our own poverty of stewardship and spiritual intimacy and have that place inform how we think about the needs around us and what will likely lead to uh, a place of mutuality and understanding uh, the opportunity for life transformation in all of our lives, those uh, with socioeconomic need and those with opulence and wealth. Uh, and we have some tools that could support your listeners in doing that. Mm. One of them, actually both of them I was involved in 
uh, creating when I started at Compassion. And actually, if you ask about books that impacted me, it would be those two that I had the privilege of uh, helping bring to life. Uh, one is called Step Into My Shoes, and it's a resource created particularly for uh, young children who get mm-hmm. the chance to step into the story and the reality of a family living in uh, Uganda who is uh, poor in many ways, but rich in faith and love and generosity. Uh, so you can check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eyes to See is another book that is for adults and really unpacks in more significant ways uh, some of the things that I've talked about as far as understanding the spiritual uh, roots of poverty and the brokenness in our world and doing a self-inventory on how that plays out while also uh, engaging in story and learning about how it plays out differently around the world and how God might be calling you to respond. That's great. Thank you. Very practical. Just curious, what are some of the ways that you see that in our Canadian context? If you could expand on that a little bit more, maybe what are some of the some of the ways that might not seem at first like, oh, that's actually a form of poverty that those yeah. in an affluent area actually experience, but in reality actually is. Yeah. First of all, even just one of the things that we say at Compassion to help give a framework for what we mean by this is we'll talk about how the opposite of poverty is not wealth, but sufficiency. And it relates to the verse in Proverbs 30, I believe, where it says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, right? And it talks about, you know, otherwise I may disown God and say, you know, who are you? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of the Lord. And so there's these, and we see that all the way through scripture, right? That God created us for shalom, sufficiency, uh, a, a perfect relationship with him and and an identity is being created in his image and a healthy a mutual relationship with others and a world, a created world that would provide a sustenance and give us what we need from a, a practical daily bread perspective. Alas, though, uh, sin and poverty and brokenness entered the world. And so w- when you think about it that way, you can begin to see that so often in North American context, we can get an inflated sense of self. We can get these God complexes that somehow we have the answers because of our, and we wouldn't say it this way, right? Because it's so uh, implicit and under the surface, but because mm-hmm. of our socioeconomic status or our, our pedagogy or our, our learning systems or education, our privilege that somehow we have answers and that we can control things and uh, and and take care of ourselves and others. I think you know individualism and this broken relationship mm. with others that uh, you know in our Western world this banner of busyness and this this badge of honor right How are <laughs> you I'm so busy you know um, mm. that that really creates this walls and limits our ability to have a ministry of presence. Uh, you know, certainly with God and, and with those around us. You know, the spiritual intimacy is because we don't have to trust God for our literal daily bread, we can so often, as I said, depend on ourselves and not call out to Him or walk with Him in the same way. And materialism, you know, part of my testimony is I had the isms. You know, I'm still a recovering ism person, you know. Materialism, consumerism, individualism, uh, we just you know, do not understand, uh, I'm speaking to myself here, 
what it means to be stewards of all that God has created and to use that for his purposes and to understand even theologically. I know some uh, some of us, you know, in the, the Christian evangelical church have struggled to reconcile and understand what has appeared to be progressive or liberalism when we talk about, you know, creation, uh, but to really understand biblically how we were created to steward all of creation mm-hmm. on behalf of God's purposes and how the decisions that we make today uh, fails to live up to uh, the calling that God has given us and practically impacts the most vulnerable uh, mm-hmm. in really pronounced ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm wondering what our listeners are taking from our conversation here, what resonated uh, with you today, what you might be able to start or stop doing today or tomorrow, so that we can together take a next step and work toward ending poverty. Allison, one of the things that strikes me is I, I hear in you a passion for international poverty alleviation, But I also hear in you a passion for dealing with issues of poverty right here in Canada, in your neighborhood, inviting into your family. Would you just kind of wrap us up here and speak to that both and a little bit? Yeah, my pleasure. That's exactly right. I mean, for me, my faith journey has been impacted, as I said, by the relationships that I've had with people who are so different than me, whether it be my sponsor child or whether it be, you know, different communities that I've engaged with in my local community. And because I have experienced firsthand a variety of truths, you know, seeing how investing in relationship with other people, uh, you often have more to learn and receive than you have to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've experienced life transformation through a series of, of small uh, steps in which you know sponsorship was a huge part of it for our family. Uh, but to me, it just comes back to uh, who God is, what his mission is in this world and how he invites us to be a part of it. And God created a world where he longed for us to experience a right and flourishing relationship with him and with others and with the world around us. And he never intended for us to create the systems and structures that would result in equality, would result in poverty, would result Mm -hmm. in injustice, would result in the haves and the haves-nots. And God also did not intend Uh, for people to live apart from him and to not know that they were created in God's image with gifts and skills and worth and identity and agency. And for those of us who know that and are, you know, know the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the calling that he has given us to love him and to love others and to be a part of making disciples, which includes caring for their holism, I just think what a privilege and opportunity it is to be a part of joining God in our local context, you know, to be in proximity with our neighbors and to think about the needs of our neighborhood, uh, because God really does call us to that first, I believe, at a conviction level. He calls out to live out uh, His mission and to care for people in our own backyard Mm -hmm. first, because He plants us here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do believe that God, of course, in light of the reality of our world, calls us uniquely as Christ followers to be a part 
of advancing his mission of compassion and justice and being a part of the local church around the world, doing what we're doing at home, being the hands and feet of Jesus in their communities, caring for their today and for their tomorrow and for their eternity. And so to the degree that compassion can be one small part of being a bridge to facilitate not just the exchange of resources, though that is needed, we are undeniably the select few that is privileged with wealth, but to be a part of exchanging relationship, exchanging story, exchanging learning, where we can all grow uh, deeper and closer to God, all grow deeper into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and all grow closer to one another in the process. That's the kind of thing uh, that I'm pretty excited to be a part of. And praise God, I have the opportunity to serve Him here in that regard. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared, Allison. It's been such a pleasure to learn from and with you. And before we go, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, well, you can find, well, I guess I mentioned the compassion stuff, right? That's the most important part, mm-hmm. compassion.ca or compassionca. Uh, but you can find me on social channels as well under at Allison Alley. And you'll see I share stories of my life, uh, my family, and my learnings in being a part of this incredible organization. Great. Allison, in closing, thank you for being here. Is there any final word that you'd like to leave with us? Yeah, I would just remind you again of what my professor said. And there is so much heartache and pain and and loss and complexity in our world right now, but there is also life and hope and joy and opportunity. And so ask yourself, how can I be a life-giving presence in the place that God has called me? How can I join Him here today in whatever you have to offer? And what might be that next faithful step He is calling you to make? Because you never know where it's gonna lead you. But I am sure that when you live faithfully, your life will be radically impacted as will the lives of those around you. Thank you so much. To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about Compassion Canada and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 